Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and children of all ages. Welcome to Plants and Their Friends. I am Robert Itis. We are airing from the caboose on Main Street for WART 95.5 on your FM dial. And I have a very special guest with me today. And I'm Clara Hazlett, and I'm with the, the Smithsonian Institution for Folklife and Cultural Heritage. Okay, so um, we can... Um, kind of give a little background. Some of our viewers uh, might remember um, the ginseng meeting and auction at Warren Wilson, and Betty came down. Yeah, with Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is getting deeper, huh? You know more than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, Betty's been asking a number of interns to contact me. Really? So you are the fifth <laughs> Smithsonian Institute intern. So, so did anyone get a, in a hold of you? Or? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Actually, uh, some came out to the farm, okay, which I yeah. invite you to. Yeah, I love uh, that. And um, so it's very, very interesting because uh, ginseng is being highlighted and showcased on the Mall in Washington, D.C. in 2020, coming up real soon. And um, it will be at the end of June. Yeah. And we're, you know, expecting great things to come of that. Definitely. Uh, Also, just as a little tiny heads up that you can bring back to the group, there will be a Golden Seal Symposium a couple of weeks after... Uh, the ginseng on the mall. Oh, neat. In, in Washington, D.C.? That'll be here. Oh, it's In a, it's Asheville. Here. Okay. A couple neat. of weeks after after the Washington uh, ginseng okay. uh, mall event. So um, uh, that is a little background for everybody listening in. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted uh, Clara to come on was because I wanted her to inspire some of the people in Madison County to follow in her footsteps. Um, and so why don't we just start out by talking about the Smithsonian Institute, how you got involved and what the internship program means to you. Yeah. Um, so I actually found out about it from my sister, who is a graphic designer, and she's really interested in integrating natural illustrations with um, 
introducing the natural world to the public in a more accessible way. So she found out about the Smithsonian Ginseng Internship, and I enjoy storytelling and research on any herbal um, plant life. I, it just is really interesting to me as a hobby. Um, so we decided to collaborate on this project together. Okay. So, yeah. That's great. And, uh, and you just uh, applied how long ago? Um, it was in December, I think, we applied. and So it's about yeah. uh, six months or so before the event? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they have another round in the fall. In the fall? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know when in the fall, by any chance? Um, I'm no. not quite sure, but I know that there are two rounds of research teams. Okay. Yeah. Well, for those um, youngins out there who uh, would like to pursue this kind of uh, opportunity, yeah. I would call it, um, there's a possibility this fall to hand in an application to the Smithsonian Institute yeah. to help them in some of the ways that they do. Uh, so that's great because uh, that kind of information doesn't really trickle down mm-hmm. to the county that often. Yeah. Um, and so we appreciate your coming from... West Virginia. West Virginia. Where yeah. in West Virginia? Uh, Wheeling area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's up there. They, yeah. they have some ginseng up there. They do in have area. some ginseng. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, yeah. I didn't even know about ginseng until I applied for this internship. Right. And I've learned so much. And it's crazy because it's been in my backyard this whole time. Right. And it actually growing on our farm. And I didn't even know it. So it's kind of cool to yeah. discover that. I wonder why that is, that uh, you're a millennium? Yeah. Yeah, why that disconnect with the herb world Mm -hmm. exists is uh, interesting to ponder. Yeah. Yeah. And I had considered myself someone who really enjoys the outdoors and getting to know different plants and trees, but I just never come across it. Wow. Yeah, which is kind of, like, disturbing, <laughs> you know? Like, if, yes. If, if I thought that I was trying my best to learn and I still didn't know, I mean, that shows that there needs to be more highlight of that. Yeah, better teachers yeah. out there to mm-hmm. interact with the public yeah. is tough. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so you want to ask me some questions, yes. I see. Yeah. And uh, that could that could take us off on all <laughs> kinds of side trips here. But I'm here w- for the journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we um, we have some time, and it's a uh, a topic that we are uh, giving more and more attention to um, as we get closer to the centennial uh, or the uh, Smithsonian's uh, event mm-hmm. on the uh, on the mall. So what would be your first question? So basically just for um, some knowledge about the project, my sister and I are collaborating to make three videos to kind of showcase the past, present, and future of ginseng. And they're going to be illustrated, and we want to try to bring in voices of different people who are featured in the ginseng world in Appalachia. So basically um, it's going to be for people who have no idea of what ginseng is, kind of like me, who at the beginning just like didn't really know about it, didn't really care about it, and why we need to care about it. So if we could start by what is ginseng and how is it used? Um, 
Ginseng is uh, interesting in that it's one of those plants that has a history not only in China, but a history here. And since um, I got involved in this in the 90s, there's been a concerted effort, I believe, uh, by the Hong Kong Chinese with the Asian ginseng to brand it the term ginseng. So people don't understand that ginseng is grown 90% of it under shade cloth in the world. Part of this reason is that the Chinese in the 1600s cut down their forests so that they could plant crops. That, unfortunately, is where the ginseng lived, and they just, you know, made them homeless. So they've created these this hut communities on these bare mountains uh, or bare landscape, uh, growing ginseng, um, raised beds, uh, usually plastic over them uh, on the roofs. Uh, they used to be thatched. Now they're pretty much plastic, and they're pretty much sprayed almost every day with a fungicide. Ginseng has a bad problem with five different fungicides, okay. uh, five different funguses, so that fungicides are used worldwide, but it's not good medicine. And ginseng is good medicine. It does more things for the body than any other plant. So to come back... We have Asian ginseng, we have American ginseng. American ginseng's Latin name is um, uh, um, uh, quintifolium, Penex quintifolium, and uh, Asian ginseng is Penex ginseng. As it was explained to me, if those two plants covered the majority of the functions in your body, that's their similarity. But there are differences between Asian ginseng and American ginseng. Some people like to say Asian is more yang and American is more yin. Some like to say that they take uh, Asian ginseng in the wintertime and American ginseng in the summertime. But over here... Um, ginseng, American ginseng, was discovered in 1717, 1716, something around that, because of unusual events. Um, the Jesuit priests at that time, 1700, so this is 100 years after they cut down the trees, the Manchurian uh, emperor decided to have the Jesuits come and map China, or at least map Manchuria. While they were there, the Jesuit priest from in China discovered the Asian ginseng plant and sent that plant, probably a suppressed plant, to Quebec, to another Jesuit priest that they were corresponding, who was in Quebec. And he took this plant and he showed it to the Mohawks. And yes, sure enough, this plant existed here. 
So that's the first time that we knew that Asian ginseng and American ginseng, and they look very, very, very similar. Mm-hmm. So, so is there history that the Mohawks were using ginseng? All Indian, all all Eastern tribes, mm-hmm. medicine people use ginseng. And do you know how they would use it? Yes, it, it it became similar to the way the Chinese would use it. Chinese would use it in a formula with. 20 some odd plants and the Cherokee would use it in a uh, in a formula with like just seven plants but the only time the Native Americans that I know used it straight out was if a warrior was going to be running a long distance to another tribe or something they would give them a ginseng root to to, to uh, munch on along the way. Really? Yeah, and they wouldn't have to eat, and they wouldn't stop, and they, they just would get that energy boost uh, to keep on trucking and just keep on taking the ginseng. Some of this is um, uh, really important to understand that that's a extreme condition, that normally ginseng is a tonic which means you take a little bit of it every single day to get the body to build up. And that is what has been traditionally used. In the Chinese system, now it's kind of given for anniversaries, a person coming out of a hospital for an operation, uh, men over 50 tend to need that to help their bodies regulate to that younger self. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, it's a miraculous plant that we really in America have not reseeded and replanted back in our harvest. So the first big shipment of ginseng to the Orient happened with a um, person who's very famous, uh, Jacob Astor. Very, very famous, very wealthy family. I saw a picture of the schooner. Um, I'm pretty sure it was seven big masts, and the ship was filled with nothing but ginseng. Wow. (laughs) And when it got um, over to China, that ship in 1780 was worth $100,000. Unbelievable. And that trek from ginseng in our forest to to Hong Kong has now taken place over these couple of hundred years. And the average that I did way back when, in the 90s, showed that um, there is um, uh, no... A way to uh, oh, I lost my train of thought with that telephone. <laughs> okay. Where was I going? With you were that? saying that there was no like the forest because of reseeding. Yeah, yeah, we we haven't done that, and we've been taking out about three hundred and fifteen thousand pounds a year, mm-hmm. and that if you think about four hundred plants at ten years old. 
makes one pound, then you have to times that 315,000 pounds times 400 to just get how many plants were taken out yearly. And there was only a couple of times when the United States and China were at wars against each other that we didn't trade. But other than that, we've been trading. And if you look at the stats coming out now, uh, so in um, uh, 1977, uh, they passed the CITES Treaty. CITES Treaty said... Uh, it was for fauna and flora that were endangered. The American ginseng plant was the only plant put on that list in 1977 from this part of the country or world. Uh, I mean, there were eagles and bears and, you know, all kinds of other reptiles and stuff. But this was the only plant. Uh, and so now it's in, it was endangered worldwide. The Trade had to be regulated. We had to figure out how much we were importing and selling and everything, which we never did before by state. Um, there wasn't really good records on it, and now we have the records, and all the records are showing that we're losing this plant mm -hmm. very fast. So what are some measures that conservationists can be taking to kind of retrack that and kind of... This is just so important. I'm glad you asked that. Mm -hmm. Because there's one thing that humans can do to help ginseng that is just off the charts as far as numbers go. So let me give you an example. If the plant itself dropped the seed, the chances of that seed making a plant, new plant, is 1%. And it has to go over the summer. So it's an 18-month process from the fall over the next summer to the next fall and then to the spring. So over that fall, it really gets them if the seeds aren't down, if they're not moist and everything. If you go into the forest and you harvest and you take your seed cluster, and now I recommend everybody eating the pulp, and taking the seeds and planting the seeds, because the pulp now, which was considered a waste product, now has shown for tremendous for diabetes. Really? But all kinds of blood sugar things that the pulp is good for. Oh, that's so interesting. So there are some people who are trying to freeze that real fast and, and put it, but it's just in the beginning stages. So taking those seeds eating the pulp, and then planting the seeds at least a foot and a half from the original plant has about a 16% chance of germination. Okay. Now, if we take those seeds in the fall, put them in stratification for a full year, so we're taking them out the next fall, they've gone over the summer, they've been in a sand... They've either been buried in the ground or in refrigeration. When those seeds come out, we're now talking about 90-plus percentage of germination. Wow. So that's how human beings can help this plant. If we just naturally do it or if we don't stratify it, very, very low germination. 
But if we consciously stratify the seeds, then we're going to have huge amount of germination. And it's not this is my estimation. I don't think any study's been done. I would love to see it. But my take of it is that you got 100%. However, some of them are early, and they pop out, and then they die. Okay. So that's why you get closer to the 90%. Mm-hmm. I don't know that as a fact, but it's just through my observation that they tend to germinate. If you do this right and they're moist, they will germinate. Mm-hmm. So that answers the question? Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of the how of how we can we as humans can be conserving this plant, but what is what is the reason why we should be? Because it's the best plant for a human being to take as a tonic. Mm-hmm. Period on the planet. There are other plants that are also termed adopt adaptogens. Mm-hmm. So you might talk about ashwagandha in India or uh, maca or um, uh, um, the other one from Brazil. There are different places around the globe that have plants that they call Peruvian ginseng, Indian ginseng, African ginseng. Yeah. So they're similar, Mm -hmm. but none of them hit as many parts of the body as the Panax ginseng or Panax equintifolium. Okay. Now, there are a number of other Panax, but they're not commercial. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a Japanese one. uh, You know, there's just a couple of other uh, uh, gen- uh, Panax uh, plants, but they're just in such small supply we can't even consider them. Uh-huh. The only one, and this is a little uh, thing that most people don't know, is there's a, a product called Siberian ginseng. Have you heard of it? I haven't, no. Um, Siberian ginseng is interesting. It has uh, leaves that look like ginseng. Uh-huh. They're five. Um, and it's but it's a bush. I mean, it's as big as you or bigger, and um, uh, it has the properties of ginseng, but it's not a Panax. Okay. Uh, it's a Luthercocker, and uh, uh, the uh, the uh, Siberian ginseng's name was created on in Madison Avenue in 1970. So, it it it's not even. From Siberia. In fact, (laughs) this is a a little interesting side (laughs) car. Um, I was doing um, some work uh, with um, the uh, USDA, uh, and they had a, uh, a document. So... What happened was that since that CITES treaty in 1970, we never had a conference on ginseng. We just kept going down the tubes until 2000, when the guy who was in charge of that program retired. They got a new guy, and they put in a conference. So they put in a conference, and they they talked about ginseng. It was really great. They brought all the 
Ginseng, co- there's a coordinator for every state okay. that counts the number of, of pounds that and send it to, to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and they put it together everything for the whole United States. Uh, they put out a document on that 2000 um, conference uh, where what happened as another sidebar in 1999, the year before that, uh, Panax ginseng was put on that endangered list. Mm -hmm. So in 77, American, in 99, it was uh, Panax ginseng. The people who were against it in 77, Chinese, were against it in uh, 99. The person who put in the application were the Russians. The Chinese would get into buses and go up into Siberia and get a, a Panax ginseng. But wow. <laughs> the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service called it Siberian ginseng. Mm-hmm. When they really meant it was Panax ginseng that was in Siberia. Siberia. Okay. So don't feel ashamed that you don't know um, about the origins of this yeah. thing because the United States government didn't know either. <laughs> That's crazy. And yes, and they made a retraction on that after we pointed that out. Hmm. So that is a very uh, interesting aspect. Mm-hmm where part of the solution is replanting and reseeding, and the second part of the solution is to stratify every seed that the ginseng plant makes. Mm -hmm. Now, in some places, unfortunately, some states have said, that's not okay, you can't pull seeds out of the forest and stratify them. You got to plant them right there, which is crazy thoughts. You know, most of all the regulations that we have on ginseng in America was thought up by the Chinese, and they have influenced how the American ginseng market exists, how how it works, and who supports it. Because basically, without them, there is no market. Right now, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And that's what the North Carolina Ginseng Association is trying to change by getting farmers to grow wild simulated ginseng uh, for the American market. And we even have a big company out west um, that is gearing for the American market and has been for for a while. And, uh, and that's what you do on your farm. Yes. Right? Well, I do two things on my farm. Okay. The first thing is I have a license to purchase this poached Jensen. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> it so seems kind of it's, 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 ironic. It's, license to purchase poached yeah. Jensen. <laughs> it, it's the only real sanctioned illegal activity that our government just turns its head on. So how does that work? Well. And is it it's mostly poached from the Smokies? No, or? no, no. No, the Smokies, actually, they've, they've decimated the Smokies. 
the recent studies that came out at that 2000 conference was that from West Virginia, another study said that you need 76 some odd plants to make a colony that will reproduce. Mm -hmm. The Smokies could only find 14 plants together at tops. Wow. Because of the poaching that's been poaching. done. Okay. They, they inject a dye into yeah, their roots now that. Mm -hmm. so that the, when it comes to the dealer, the dealer won't buy it. But, I mean, that's a small amount of injections compared to, you know, yeah. how many roots they used to have. So how does your operation work then? So mine is I, I get seeds. And then I make them into little plants, and I sell the little plants to people to keep on going. I have a couple of larger plants, but they're not much. I mean, if we're talking about 400 plants make a pound, I don't even have a sixteenth of a pound out mm -hmm. there. And I, they have to be maintained. You have to cut down your plants just before season for the majority of the diggers. Unfortunately, I hate to say, people are digging now in the springtime. They're not waiting till September one. Just for economic incentives. Yeah, because there's not that much out there. What it used to take back in the fifties was one guy with one with uh, a sh shopping bags, you know, would fill up four of them in one to two or three days. When I came in, in the 90s, they would be out there for two to three weeks to get the same thing that they got in two or three days. Now, it's taking a whole season to get the same thing. Wow. And, and it, it, you're either getting somebody who does this and nothing else, or you're getting somebody who has a job and likes to go in the woods and hunts a little bit. And you can absolutely tell the difference between the two when you find out how much they have to sell. Most of the people who have jobs, maybe half a pound to a pound. Those people who are out there all, all year round, except for the wintertime, are basically bringing in eight to ten. 10 pounds. And who are those people? I mean, are they locals just looking to make an extra buck or like? No, no, no. As they say, uh, there are no uh, extra buckers. That used to be the old thought. Oh, it's just the farmer. He's getting a turkey for Thanksgiving and presents for Christmas. BS. Doesn't happen anymore. They don't exist. They're dead. They, 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 those guys are not there. The, what we have is somebody who's out there all the time digging or somebody who has a job and does it as a part-time thing? Just as like a hobby. Thing. Like a hobby. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Okay. And because it takes a lot to just get a little. Yeah. And, and you know, the Hong Kong Chinese will pay $2 a root. That's basically what they when, – when it goes over $2 a root, they freak out. Um, but the, the, the reality – of that is that the guy has to get up, got to travel into the forest, got to fight the rattlesnakes and the, and the yellow jackets. They got to bring it home, got to clean it right, got to dry it right, and then bring it to the dealer and he gets two bucks for one route. That's a great business model 
for the Hong Kong Chinese. Yeah. And it's a piece. In other words, they're buying piecework, which is, you know, they don't pay medical. They don't pay travel. They don't pay any, any disability. They don't pay anything. They just pay for the product. And that they have devised as a system. See, what happened in China is that after they cut down the trees, there were 400 families that basically went into ginseng. And if you go to Hong Kong now, there's a street called the Downs, and all of the ginseng uh, families, the 400 families, are on the main square uh, street, like Fifth Avenue, they say, and then the side streets off of them have the little guys, the huh. smaller the people who are just trying to come into it. And um, these families, you know, their their business operation is basically the same. They have offices in Hong Kong and all of their mainland uh, where the, the the plants are. Uh, separated and graded and uh, powdered and all that's done on the mainland. Uh, but uh, they get together every day for lunch. You know, I mean, not 400 of them, yeah. but these guys are talking to each other every single day on how to get the ginseng out of our woods into their factories. And we have nothing to... You know, do in fact extension agriculture extension still is on that uh, uh, little um, uh, gerbil going around on the wheel that we have to export to Hong Kong. That that's our market. That two dollars a root is good enough for you guys. Keep on doing it. And that's what you're trying to change. Absolutely, the North Carolina Ginseng Association wants to hold auctions for local roots to local practitioners of herbal medicine or acupuncture, uh, uh, any, any of the other uh, modalities that are out there that would like to use this product. Unfortunately, Americans do not really comprise much of the market, maybe 4 to 8%, and, and that's it. And... I mean, from what I've read, I feel like it's mostly because of the different understandings of medicine and the use and the, the way herbs are used in our societies. In American society, you go to the doctor and you take some yeah. pills whenever yeah. you're sick. And it's kind of foreign for us. And we honestly kind of distrust anything that's like, oh, this is an herbal remedy that will cure you, you know? Yeah. So, like, how, how do you envision changing that mindset to accommodate a more local market? That's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it wasn't always the case. In the 1880s, there were the eclectics in Cincinnati that treated people all over the world with anything that worked for a 1,000 years, which was mostly herbal. When the salt vaccine for polio came along, this group could not support it. And the AMA, through our federal government, came down on the herbalists. And they'd come into their, their shops and they'd uh, take all their records, they'd uh, destroy their, their, their products and their stuff, and they would leave them basically uh, wondering what the heck happened. 
Wow. Like a tornado came through. And that's through the 20s and 30s, just when the soft vaccine started coming. And then the AMA just pushed it on through. And so allopathic, really, right now, you have uh, really dangerous choices. Um, uh, they're either going to cut it out or they're going to give you some pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. We've talked on this program before about the pharmaceutical. Um, one just has to remember that... All of the major pharmaceuticals were part of World War I producing poison gas to kill humans. When that was outlawed, they decided to use their techniques to kill bugs, to kill bacteria, to kill, kill, kill. That's what the allopathic theory is. The more Ayurvedic theory, the more Chinese theory is to be well, to do things that make you well as part of your regimen to keep well, rather so that you don't have to cut it out and you don't have to uh, go to the pharmaceuticals. But I'm telling you, from my knowledge, especially with cancer, we're losing this battle. And especially millenniums, time and again, Herbal medicine is out. Their parents just relied on allopathic, going to the doctor, believing whatever the doctor said. Killed a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to get morbid about it, but just look at the statistics of people who go into the hospital and don't come out. Mm -hmm. Huge. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's because of bad practices that are done in the hospital. Now, I'm not saying that they're, that they're, they're doing that intentionally, but taking something out of your body, not natural, and taking uh, pharmaceuticals that are totally chemical, also not natural, and they all have side effects, which the herbals tend to not have or have in very small doses, and there are no fatal type situations when you take uh, herbal medicine. It sometimes takes a little longer to get to the same place, but uh, we we have to uh, uh, make a shift. Uh, There's a lot that integrated medicine in the 90s would never hear. Integrated medicine is only there because allopathic medicine does not have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, learning from other mod- modalities is really important. Now, just to give you uh, an example, uh, Japan, you pay, I think they said $175 a year, and any modality that you want, the government covers. You want to go to acupuncture, you want to go to raw, any of the things that we don't have do right now, but would keep us going, yoga, Classes should be free. Tai Chi classes should be free or paid for by the government. Um, that would do more for us. But allopathically, it's not there because uh, all of those preventive things are not cutting it out or throwing a lot of chemicals out. So I'm curious, how do you, you use herbal medicine in your own diet, especially ginseng? I take ginseng every day. Um, there have been times when it, it does heat up the body. 
So there are times when I've been told by acupuncturists not to do that for a while. Or um, it, I think that one of the major changes everybody, majority of the planet needs to do is change their diet. And if you don't put herbs in your, in your diet, you're at a loss. If you don't uh, change uh, out of the heavy red meat category, you're at a loss. And I go further to uh, pretty much knock sugar as um, addictive and should be by script only. You should be able to get a script for sugar, something that is in every food practically that we could choose. Mm -hmm. And it's only the last couple of years with this gluten-free, sugar-free, you're you're getting to see a little piece of what could happen. Mm -hmm. But we need to put nuts, fruit, Nuts and fruit is not in the American diet, mm-hmm. you know, and most of it's not organic anyway when it does come in. But to not have blueberries for a full season, eating them every single day, or when the chanterelle mushrooms come in and eating chanterelles and, and uh, uh, eggs for breakfast every single day, mm-hmm. you're now starting to take uh, nettles tea uh, uh, on a daily basis, jayugalon tea on a daily basis to put in those things that help your body rather than putting in the things that deteriorate your body, like sugar. Totally addictive, uh, so close to cocaine, one uh, membrane, uh, one molecule away, uh, both white, both powder, both addictive. And yet... One of them, the one that a cocaine could actually be a medicine if it isn't uh, purified as, as much as they do, which is putting in chemicals and, you know, is nasty stuff. I mean, you, you, uh, to, 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 to those solvents are really bad. But eating cocoa leaves to give you some energy to get up into the altitudes, to, to get away from alt, uh, uh, altitude sickness and stuff like that, there's no better medicine out there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that the biggest problem today, 219, is greed. Uh, it's, it's, it's bigger than lying because everybody is not a liar. But almost everybody that I've met is greedy. Greedy, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they, they they don't um, they don't understand that in my estimation that we're here to help each other that that's the purpose of the plants and the humans to help each other and that's what's important uh, and when you leave this planet um, there's nobody who gets buried in their Mercedes Benz. Uh, all of those trinkets are, you know, something that one has to really question in one's life. And I know that um, we have 
some real major problems. Um, And some of those major problems, like uh, climate change, is affecting our plants. And there's really not a whole lot of people standing up for the plants. United Plant Savers is one of the only groups in America that is just purely for plants, not wildlife, no trees, just dealing with the plants. And when you come, I come to uh, U.S. forestry meetings. Again, they talk about the trees and never talk about the plants. And when you take the trees down, the plants lose their home. So um, there's a disconnect there. Uh, and, And these connections... Uh, are, I think, necessary for us to move forward. And there's now basic questions whether we're going to be able to do that. So how, what would you recommend to someone who has very little experience in experimenting with herbal remedies and basically interacting with plant life? How does one get started with that without being completely overwhelmed by yeah, um, all of the options? One thing that I... Um, thought was a very wise uh, statement, and I forget who who said it uh, at the time. Uh, but I know that if you just take five plants and grow those five herbal plants out and look at them when they come up and look at them in the summer and look at them when they go down, in five years you have 25 plants. That is a lot of plants to grow and to use. So that's uh, uh, where I believe you start. And then from there, there's a lot of literature out. It's just that it's not really available. Um, I have uh, a YouTube channel. Um, Now, actually, I have two YouTube channels. So it's Plant Friends, One Word. Uh, will get you to my big channel, Mm -hmm. which has 50 episodes of an hour each. And then my smaller channel is going to have smaller episodes and maybe 100 or 200 uh, uh, little tiny episodes on them. It seems that now the the longer episodes are just not able to catch... Shorter attention spans. (laughs) It's true. It really is. And and you have to work with that. uh, to get that knowledge out there, if, if exactly. that's uh, something that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So how did you get, you grew up in New York City, how did you originally get interested in ginseng? Like, were you at one point this person yeah. growing five plants in yeah. your backyard? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, well, I had a, a dual track. The first track was in 77, 78, I met Hawk Littlejohn and Cherokee, um, he uh, felt it was important to pass Native information on to uh, white people. And he was married to a white nurse. So um, that was his, when I first came in. And then uh, he was the one who taught me some of the things about ginseng and golden seal. Uh, But I was not settled out here yet. I was still in Raleigh. Um, And I would take, you know, really bad ginseng at that time because I didn't know. You know, ginseng on the shelf, it's a little bit cheaper. Sure, it's the same thing. Might as well take it. Um, It wasn't until I got up here and I'm in real estate 
and I am seeing that that's just not a good fit for me. And so I started my farm, and uh, the people who were building my house, one of them was a wild-simulated ginseng grower. And he got me to the conference in... um, 1992, with Dr. Janine Davis at the Fletcher Institute, that was historic. That was a historic conference. Because two things. After the conference, Paul Gallimore came out and we found ginseng on my land. Really, really big day. That's so exciting. Yeah. (laughs) But the other thing that um, I I learned at that conference was that uh, ginseng had these fungicides and nobody was using any natural fungicides. Everything was poison. In fact, when I first came in, DDT, which we had banned, is not banned in China. So uh, these are problems. Uh, and in 2002, I put together a Siri grant, which is um, a southern... Um, Agricultural region and education, and we did a grant uh, a study on ginseng uh, growth uh, with Dr. Davis, and it was at that point that we used natural fungicides. And so I kind of started getting here, saying we don't need to use all these chemicals. We can use horsetail, we can use golden seal. Both are antifungal. Wow. Hello. Yeah, so uh, that's been uh, what I've been talking about. I did a talk on that at the West Virginia conference two years ago, um, a ginseng and uh, woodland medicinals in Watertown, West Virginia. Okay. Not too far from you. Not too far. And um, I gave a, uh, a talk on natural fungicides, which was, so that was 2017. That was work that I had really done in 2002, but there were some Korean people who were using natural fungicides, both neem and essential oils, and they were working. So I added that into my mix of stuff, and that is out now in a uh, uh, symposium uh, proceedings um, that uh, you can purchase from United Plant Savers. Uh, This is not rocket science. It's just been uh, directed by those chemical interests in our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just now becoming vogue to be organic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all the time. And how do you think that this... I mean, right now it may seem like just a passing trend... But how, how do you think that we can encourage this trend to kind of stick? If you think we can. I yeah. mean, like, have you yeah. seen success in yeah. your farm yeah. as far as, like, yeah. uh, yes and attracting no. that? Yes and no. Okay. Definitely that my students are down. My numbers are down on, really? on, on, on selling a product all across the board. I mean, the, the height of the, uh, uh, the Clinton years – is is gone. 2008 just crippled us, and uh, people are so fearful 
and they're poorer. And both of those things are hurting uh, because the natural knee-jerk reaction is to do the allopathic way. Yeah. And I would be uh, wrong to say that there isn't a place for allopathic. Uh, but, you know, when I had a bleeding ulcer, yeah, I want them to stop it through an operation. And yeah. so it, it does have its place, but we really have to bring back the herbal mm-hmm. and add the allopathic just as a drop rather than have the allopathic the main thing and the herbal just a little bit mm-hmm. on the side. Okay, well, Claire, Clara. Clara, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you can call me whatever you want. Clara, we've um, almost done the hour. All right. That went so, by extremely quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say that this is Robert Itis with Plants and Their Friends, and we're talking about ginseng with uh, Clara, who is with the Smithsonian. And uh, there's going to be a big event in 2020 on the mall at the end of June. So we are able to do maybe one or two more questions. Okay. Um, Yeah, so we talked a lot about the medicinal properties of ginseng and its importance um, herbally and um, in that realm. But what about the traditional aspect of it. If you're familiar with the traditions of ginsenging in North Carolina or Appalachia in general, and if that's important as well. I do believe that with, uh, and I hope that it happens soon, uh, Bill 1840 to license all harvesters. Uh, I've had horror stories. Uh, The one that's probably the the most uh, retold is uh, um, a uh, Central American or Latino uh, father calling me so proud that his son has been harvesting ginseng from end of May until he called me middle of August. So we're not even in season at all. And he had 24 pounds. Oh, That's 42,000 plants that were picked, uh, harvested before they could produce berries. Oh, man. (laughs) And that's because of lack of education. If he had to have a license, he wouldn't have gotten there. If the NCDA knew that he had a license, they could feed him education. But until that happens, it's it's just uh, disastrous uh, how our woods are being trampled. Mm -hmm. So just more education in the realm of how to... I think uh, I think people growing this crop is going to teach them a lot. Okay. And just using it um, without understanding how to grow your own. I mean, if you went out on the market, organic ginseng is worth 95% more than sprayed ginseng. If you find ginseng in any product, like food or drink, it's the sprayed ginseng. You're not going to get $800, $850 a pound put into any food substance at all. So you have to grow your own ginseng. Just like growing your own food, you have to grow your own herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I would encourage everybody to do it. Uh, there are ways, uh, it's either through YouTube or associations or books or videos that are out there that really can explain it. You just have to do the research. Well, I feel inspired to grow ginseng. <laughs> well, you're in a pre- place that you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, knowing that it was grown and wildly on my our family's farm, I mean, that's reason enough, I think, to continue the tradition. Yes, yes. yes. And then you get to share that with your family and yeah. friends. And eventually, you know, if you go in for an automobile accident or something, then you come out and you want to get rejuvenated, then you start taking your Jensen. Yeah. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of good reasons for doing that. Uh my organic ginseng, which is about 7,000 roots in a pound, is $1,600. Hmm. And that, as far as I'm concerned, is cheap. Hmm. And that's going to have to go up as the supply gets lower and lower. And there's a whole new market. Uh, there's a Korean-American fresh market that has taken the price and from 85 to 120 and now we're talking 275 a pound hmm. fresh with dirt on it so wow. they're, they're 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 experiencing the root as it came out of the ground and there's a way now of preserving that and getting the people the communication through the cell phones to get them there to pick it up 24 hours, 48 hours from when you dug it. Totally brand new market. Not like the old market at all. And that's mostly local. Well, (laughs) one of uh, my guys uh, uh, ran into some, and he called New York, and that guy put down the phone, got into his car, and drove two days to get here. As soon as he got here, he bought it, he went down to the airport, and he took that, and he sent that, and he made six, seven, eight times as much money. He sent it to China? They, no, Korea. Oh, to Korea. These are the Koreans. Oh, my god. And gosh. it could be Koreans in America. Huh. Or Canada. It's fascinating how interwoven culturally the ginseng trade is. I mean, and it's, it's a, crazy. <laughs> and it's a small group of people that are running the whole yeah. show. And that's what people have to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to buck that, you know, is, is really the, the ideal. To sell Americans, American ginseng. I know it sounds wild, but it's really the way to go. Yeah. And with that, we're going to end. It's right. gone. The whole hour's gone. All right. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, we'll be back with new stuff next week. Take care and have a great week. No, Connor, this is a yote. 
Bahujon 